Coming up on the next episode of Way Down in the Hole, Van and I break down episode 12 called That's Got His Own. We'll discuss the best scenes and moments and tell you what are the file this away for later moments that you need to look out for. All coming up next on Way Down in the Hole. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. No, no, no. What you do? What you do? What you do? Oh, man, come on, Sharon. Come on, man. Come on. Come on. You're not supposed to do this, man. <laughs> Which one of y'all gonna open a truck for me? You gonna look out for me, Sergeant Carver? You gonna look out for me? You promise? You got my back, huh? What's up, everybody? We're back here with episode 12 that's got his own season four of The Wire. Van, I'ma just call it what it is. This is the gut punch episode. Is it now? For you, this gut is the gut punch is episode. all over the place, yeah. man. Like, mm-hmm. You know, you it, it's one every season, right? It, it's one every season where a bunch of really shitty things happen to characters you've grown to love or the shitty people wind up being even shittier than you thought they could be. And you're just like, damn, man. So this is the episode where I feel all hope is lost, the world's going to end, and we're doomed. So, mm. um, yeah, I mean, you got the gut punch of what happens to Randy, what happens to Sharad, what happens to Daquan, what happens to Mike, what happens to even Randy's foster mother, uh, Miss Anna, Naaman. Like, it's a long list of, th- of people. It's shit, even if you just want to say the whole Baltimore school district. I mean, yeah. it's just like everybody takes one to the gut in this episode. Uh, what were some of your takeaways from episode 12? Basically the same thing in a different way. This is the episode where everyone comes down to earth. Remember? We were talking about a new day in Baltimore. We were talking, there was a program with the kids that was working well. Things seemed to be going along swimmingly. The co-op was together and everything seemed like it was going great and all of that type of stuff. But this is kind of the one where everything comes down to earth. There was even a little bit of of light at the end of the tunnel with with Bubbles and Sherrod. Sherrod had come home. He and Bubbles seemed to be uh, have gotten over their little schism and everything like that. But uh, that ends up obviously going tragically and terribly wrong right here uh, in this particular episode. You know, Mike and Nate, always being friends, always being together, helping each other out. The 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 bond between them, it, it happens so subtly. The bond between the boys is really fractured. Everyone has such huge problems that there's no more crew anymore. The crew is kind of, it's 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 fraying for real. They're not seeing each other as much anymore. So, um, yeah, and also even like Hurt. Hurt came down to earth a little bit. Hurt's stripes don't matter no more. 
Lester's in charge of, of major crimes and, and, and Herc, Herc is trying to tell Lester, boy, I'm going to be honest with you. That, that's the weakest move. That's one of the weakest moves in the show. Hey, uh, when, when Lester's giving out the, 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 the orders and the investigative tactic that they're going to use, hey, do you think, that's all cool. You think the direction can come from me? I am the sergeant. Lester <laughs> doesn't like, even respond. Because he's such a moron. Uh, but I, I did wonder in that scene, Look at Herc's face when Lester says he's giving out the orders, but somewhere in where he's giving out the orders, he says, you know, you guys have been following Marlo for two months and it's just nothing to work with, right. which is taking a shot at Herc because he has been the one in charge for the last two months. And because they were concentrating on on street bus and just doing completely um, mundane and counterproductive police work, they have nothing. They have no sources. They don't know what's been going on with this dude, why he's been murdering people left and right. And so the look on Herc's face is like, oh, so you're going to take a shot at me. Mm -hmm. So I think part of the reason why he came at Lester, like, hey, little get back, like, just trying to remind him, you know, I'm the one who's in charge here. I'm the one who has rank. And I love that Lester looked at him like, you could never. I'm going to just ignore you. Because sometimes you have those bosses that like to flex and you just look at them and just say, your whole face is, if shut the fuck up, we're an expression. Yeah, get out of my face, nerd. Yeah. Yeah, just like, go away. You're, you're not even... And Lester, by the way, who showed enormous patience in dealing with Herc and his colossal fuck up, which essentially has ruined multiple lives. So, um, so yeah, but no, that, that, was, that was the weak sauce. I, I kind of agree with you. Uh, but yeah, a lot of... A lot of loose ends are being tied up. And this is typically, again, what happens in the last two or three episodes of The Wire. And, you know, they give you... I feel like The Wire really, on purpose, and to drive home the point of systemic failures, they always give you a death that's that's kind of innocent, that just, just leaves, you know, just kind of stays with you. Uh-huh. And I think in this episode, you get a physical death and you get kind of a a more metaphorical death that has the same impact. And I'm thinking specifically of Randy and Sherrod. Mm, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sherrod, definitely. Sherrod is a, a death that, Sherrod's not going to go down as a major character, but he's definitely a major emotional catalyst, you know, obviously in the show. Sherrod's death is, is particularly painful because it, it results from someone who is trying to defend themselves. Right, somebody who's trying to get out from under, being terrorized, and being pushed to a level where he feels like it's life or death, to where he has to get somebody out uh, on the streets, and he's out of the streets or out off the streets, however you would like to take that, and he does something that is out of character, and because he does something that's out of character, he gets hit with such an extreme consequence. Such an amazingly, amazingly painful consequence that it's way up there in terms of the most tragic scenes in the history of the show. Like we're gonna go through at the end the most tragic scenes when we when we do them all. And until I actually rewatched this episode, I had underestimated the 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 level of sadness and despair that Bubbles goes through when he finds her out. Yeah, well, because this is, I mean, as, as awful as it was, what happens, what's even maybe equally awful 
and this is coming more in the next episode, uh, is Bubs's response to it. Because that's a lingering, continuous thing that just kind of reminds you of just the magnitude of this particular death. Uh, All right, let's get into the recap of what happens here. Uh, After initially being instructed by Landsman not to open any more of the vacants, Lester pulls what I feel like is a McNulty move, uh, goes to Daniels, who kicks it upstairs, to Rawls, and suddenly, you know, and who uh, Rawls, who takes it to Carchetti. Carchetti, who has made this pledge that they are not going to be cooking stats the way they used to, tells them, all good, open the vacants, but yet Carcetti knows this is a political game, so he, he makes sure to say, hey, do it by December so he could still attach these open murders to Royce's administration. Very savvy. Uh, yeah, it was savvy and self-serving. I get it, because at least he got him to open them up, so I feel like that was the win in it. But, it, you know, it was it was a political move to to try to blame it on the last administration. It's no blame. It happened under the last administration. Yeah, I mean, it's you, clearly because they've been in there for a while. Yeah, yeah, but you know, are, but it's nah. still the visual. He's trying to avoid that visual uh-uh, of like, uh-uh, this is uh-uh. you. I'm not putting that on my ERA. You got all the runners <laughs> on base. I'm I'm not putting that on my ERA. You know what? That's what I love about baseball, man. I love that about baseball. You know, like you 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 come into a baseball game. Kershaw got three runners on. Those aren't my runners. Them your runners. <laughs> I mean, you know I mean, they'll, those are your runners. If they score, add them up, baby. We're playing fair. So Carcetti's like, I'm middle relief, right? right. I, right. I'm middle relief. I didn't start this. I'm middle relief right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just trying to, just trying to set y'all up and get you to Mariana Rivera, maybe. Well, sure. The evolution of Michael is fully underway. He's been personally trained by Snoop and Chris, a little mercenary running around the hood, um, and it was Michael that. Uh, told Naaman or hip Naaman to the fact that Kennard was the one who stole his package. Let me say this about Kennard real quick. I forgot how vicious this little asshole was. He is. Like, he's really a little asshole. I like him. Yeah. You like him? Yeah, I like him. Look, they (laughs) fucked them kids. Like, Like, what? I'll I'll tell you why I like Kennard. Kennard has no reason to have the balls that he has. Like, zero reason. I don't even get it. I was like, this dude, he's short as fuck. Why like... What? A little bitty ass guy. Little bitty ass guy. Talking big shit. Talking that cash money shit. And not just talking it, he'll actually steal your pack. Like a little bitty guy that'll take from you. I I, I like Kennard. Kennard. Yeah, Kennard, I just didn't remember him being such a little asshole. But Mm -hmm. nevertheless, uh, he takes the package from Naaman. Michael kind of hips Naaman to the whole thing. They confront him, and Mike beats the shit out of Kennard. Name and runs rather than claim, uh, sort of try to reclaim, reclaim his package. And it's a very telling moment uh, in Naaman's life, um, everything that happens. Uh, Carcetti, he has a huge problem on his hand other than a whole bunch of dead bodies in the vacants. Uh, his administration has uncovered a $54 million budget shortfall in the school system, and he has zero way to make this up. He goes groveling to the governor, and he must decide if it's worth it to eat shit potentially jeopardize his political career or save some kids. So that is weighing heavy on him. Uh, Bubbles, his plot for revenge, for as well as it worked against Herc, it majorly backfires as he tries to poison his bully um, with cyanide. Unfortunately, Sherrod winds up taking it 
because Sherrod had been, uh, and we saw this in in previous episodes, Sherrod, while he was out on the street away from Bubs, he started dabbling in heroin and started snorting it. So he thinks this is just regular heroin, snorts it, winds up dying right in their little makeshift um, place to live. Randy, who has been confined to the house because the entire neighborhood has labeled him a snitch, he's under uh, police protection, but y'all seen The Wire, y'all know up until this point, Good luck to, if you're a witness uh, that's being protected by the police because that shit don't ever work out in this episode or in this series, I should say. And so uh, his house is firebombed. His foster mother winds up in intensive care uh, with second and third degree burns, leaving Randy completely homeless. Omar steals the co-op's entire shipment with a different crew, a little bit of the old crew and the new crew. He's got a uh, girl, Kimmy, is back. Uh, Ronaldo's been on the scene, but Ronaldo's got some homies, so he's spreading the wealth. Black and brown coming together. Black and brown coming together, man. Snoop and Be Real will be happy about that. You see what I'm saying? You love to see it. Uh, Daquan is evicted both uh, from his physical home and from school. Uh, he's now got to go to high school per um, the orders of your favorite person, Vice Principal Donnelly. So there is definitely a huge loss there, both for Daquan and also for Perez Belusky, who's become quite close with him. Herc finally gets his of the stolen camera. This is light punishment compared to the havoc that Herc has wreaked on everybody's Everybody's life. life. You know what's so crazy? This is the thought that ran through my head is that, and I was like, oh my God, this is, this is the nutshell to some degree of policing in America. It's not excessive force on pretty much everybody that gets Herc done in. It's not the fact that you know, a few seasons ago, he rode to the projects and at two o'clock in the morning decided that he wanted to be Billy Badass. It's not any litany of offenses that Hurt has done that does him in. It's losing a fucking camera. Uh, losing a camera. It's, it's an example of something we all know. You can fuck with anybody you want except for the wrong people. Right. Like, you can fuck with the kids on the block. You can fuck with... Th- anybody else you can fuck with Phil. but if you fuck with the wrong people which in this case iid or the owners of those cameras that's the wrong people to fuck with and and he finally fucked with enough people so he found the wrong one <laughs> and that's what cost him his job and and this is also an example of the the old phrase can't, can't mess with the church's money. Can't mess with you know? the church's money. And, and the, the church's money being the police department. Like, they will forgive literally any offense. But if you lose some equipment, if you, like, cost them some direct money in many respects, like, they're happy to pay out millions of dollars of, of civil lawsuits. But no, not a $4,000 camera. You've taken it too far, right? right. It's yeah. like, what? It's like, what are we doing here? So that uh, that pretty much sums up all the things that happened here in episode 12. Uh, and just a quick note about uh, a little return visitor other than Kimmy, uh, who was part of Omar's crew when it was uh, Omar, Kimmy, and Tasha. Tasha, who no longer is with us uh, because of um, she got shot by Omar's former boyfriend mm-hmm. um, as they were trying to continue to uh, recale on the Barksdales. But uh, back in effect is Mr. Beach House, a.k.a. the lieutenant that Lester in this episode called the most effective supervisor in our police department (laughs) because he doesn't care enough to actually know what they're doing and he doesn't get in their way. The perfect boss. 
Yeah. So he is back on the scene and Beach House is still coming for those who need still to be Still building updated. the Beach House. Still building the Beach House. Uh, all right, now let's uh, turn to our character deep dive and we decided to do Carver. We have seen this character do a complete 180. Carver, dare we say, Van, is he actually good police? Carver is definitely good police. And the reason why he's good police is because he seems to care now. Not about the job, but about the people. And that's kind of what The Wire ha- is trying to drill into its viewers that, you know, it will make you into a good police officer. It's kind of the the, um, the sermon of Bunny Colvin is that the moment that you start caring about the people and not necessarily just the job, that means making rank, that means busting heads, that means, you know, all of the, the stat juking and things like that that you do to make yourself look good. The moment you start caring about the individuals that you're that you're trying to keep safe, the neighborhoods that you are patrolling in, the victims that you're trying to make whole after crimes happen to them, then you'll you're good police. Not just not just good police from the from the standpoint of you can bring a case home, but good police from the standpoint of you're useful to the community. And that's what Carver's become. Obviously, when we first saw Carver, he wasn't that. He wasn't very useful to the community. He was useful uh, in a unit because he could do grunt work. And he was useful uh, because he could go bang heads and, and, and get people to talk in interrogations or, or, or be dirty and, and be the bad cop to everybody else's good cop, you know. But now we see Carver going the extra mile for people. We see Carver recognizing kids that are in crisis. What, we're gonna, what, what we miss is, you know, Carver's gonna. Carver's trying to help Randy, and we're not sure whether or not he is going to be successful in helping Randy avoid some of the exploitation that Randy might go through. Right? We're not sure about that, but he's been pretty successful helping Naaman. And I don't think that a lot of people, when you go back and you watch the show and you remember that, he's been pretty successful realizing that Naaman wasn't the right kid to get sent down to baby booking and that Naaman needed a little bit more care and Naaman needed somebody uh, to, to like build a wall and a cocoon around him so that he could flourish into a man inside there. And Carver has been one of the main people to help facilitate that. So he's been pretty good at that. So we've seen some of the successes and we've seen him also be a guy who showed flex with them. He treats them like human beings. At this point, Carver has almost become the anti-Walker. He's the other side of what Walker is. He's treating people with dignity, humanity, and caring. And that's what you want from a public servant. So, you know, you'd have to be, you'd have to be proud of Carver at this point. Yeah, I'm really proud of him. But at the same time, um, and, and this is, uh, I'm not about to knock him, but what's, what's fascinating, especially watching how uh, his relationship with Herc has changed so differently. I mean, these were two peas in the pod. They were very close. And then they have drifted apart, even though on the surface for right now, like they're still cool, but they are operating on two different sets of principles. Right. And that could not be more apparent in how Carver has decided to care and invest in these kids. Yeah. And so, but I understand at the same time, the tremendous guilt that he feels about what is happening and what has happened to Randy. Mm -hmm. Because even though that he knew that Herc was a lot of things and that Herc had a lot of limitations, he still trusted Herc a little too much. And he saw that they were going in different directions, of course. 
But I think there were some basic things he thought that Herc probably would not do. And so when he gave him Randy, it was with an assumption of trust of somebody who didn't, frankly, deserve it and didn't had not earned the benefit of the doubt. Sure. You know, he was evolving and Herc wasn't a part of that evolution. And right. so now that it, the, I guess part of the reason that maybe we don't notice as much what he did with Naaman, because I'll agree with you, like I I kind of had forgotten a little bit how integral he was with that. Mm-hmm. And, and really, for that matter, all of the uh, all of the boys, he tried by him establishing a relationship with Cuddy and bringing the kids to him. You know, he was trying to get them all off on a much different path than they, mm-hmm. they were already on. Yeah. And so to see that, uh, you know, what happened with Randy kind of blow up in his face, it just became a more centered story because of the level of guilt that Carver felt because he trusted somebody else with precious cargo and they let him down. Yeah. You know, and so this is the the ramifications from that are just so deep and widening that they have started to, as you could tell, they've started to really, they really started to overwhelm Carver. I mean, I, I think it's it's one of the saddest scenes, but one of the best scenes is when Car- Carver's walking down that hallway and all you hear is Randy's voice saying, you know, you gonna help me? You gonna look out for me? You know, that is just, that's a hell of a scene. Yeah, you got my back. Yeah. yeah. You got my back. It's like he, he, I think he realizes like that's the that's the unfortunate up and down with what he's doing is that the highs are really high and that you could see what happens with Naaman. You yeah. can see a transformation occurring a little bit in Naaman. But then the other side of it is that you're not going to be able to save everybody. In fact, most people you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. And he's now got to live with the consequences that and the way he's absorbing it is he has permanently wrecked this kid's life. Yeah, I mean, look, one old adage that's definitely true is that nothing hurts more than caring. Nothing. Nothing hurts more than caring. I remember having a conversation with one of my guys back in the day, and I was all upset about North Korea. We were in high school, and I was, like, super scared of North Korea because Van's anxiety always manifests something to be afraid of, right? No matter what it is. So I'm super scared of North Korea. I'm, I'm like, trying to think, what did North, what did North Korea do? That's when they first started like messing around. Mm. It was like 96 or 97 okay. or something like that. That's when they first okay. started, you know, we want nuclear weapons and all of that. That's when they first started messing around. Because mm-hmm. remember when George Bush said that there was an axis of evil, it was Iran, Iraq, and North Korea. You know? okay. Yeah, I don't um, remember Access to Evil, but uh, I had forgotten he was talking about North Korea. Yeah, so, um, and I remember, you know, being upset about it. And I hear me, <laughs> my, my dude Ryan just pausing the game and being like, yo, what can you do about that? I was like, what? He was like, you going to go talk to him? <laughs> you go talk to him. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, well, he's like, you, you just, you freaking out about it. There's like nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do. But it's like, I care whether or not there's a nuclear war or world war. He's like, bro, I think you care too much, man. Because if it happened, it ain't shit you can do. And so, and I never stopped caring, but it did build within me the understanding that you have to, you, you have to care about yourself as well. So you have to know what you can take on. I'm not saying that Carver was wrong for taking on this situation with Randy, but I am saying that he took on this situation with Randy without knowing the ins and outs of whether or not he could make a difference in it. Um, And so 
he's coming at it even in that scene. Carver, to a degree, probably believes that at some point, you know, if people if people are full-hearted enough about it and 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 if they if they care enough about it that they're going to be able to protect Randy. They're going to be able to put Randy in a spot where Randy you know who knows that that's probably not going to happen? Randy. Randy knows how this goes. Randy's been through this before. So when Randy's saying, you're going to help me, you're going to look out for me, you're going to do this for me, he, he gets it. He knows what he's up against. So in that, I actually felt bad for Carve, man. I felt bad for Carve because caring hurts. It's tough. And in a lot of cases in this world, it's a losing game. You know? It, well, I noticed uh, when when Randy is is with is at with at his foster mother's house. Notice the difference in his reaction when Pres Belusky come by comes by and when Carver comes by. But Pres Pres Belusky comes by to give him his schoolwork. He's like he's like oh Mr. Prez like he's so warm he's so open he's mm-hmm. smiling right. When Carver came to his door he looked mean at him mug. like oh my god he gave him such a mean mug yeah and it was. You know the juxtaposition of him giving him the mean mug, but uh, Miss Anna inviting Carver in for breakfast. It was just like he fucking hates Carver. Yeah, he he, he checked him uh, going into the thing. He looked at him like, "Come in my house," like you know what I'm saying. So he, but but once again, Carver's police. The police have never done anything good for Randy. As a matter of fact, even when he's asked, even when he's actually tried to work with the police, it's backfired. Yeah, I was thinking because there's always among Wire fans. They always try to make the link into who somebody is is becoming, you know. And so, I look at Carver and think, is is I mean, is it fair to say he's becoming Bunny? Oh, he'll basically. be Bunny at the end, yeah. Yeah, he'll be he'll be Bunny. That's yeah. that's who he's becoming. Yeah. Um, uh, that you know, he too one day will run his own Amsterdam. Right. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> but I I thought it was um he was on his way to being Burrell. Yes. He, oh my God, he was. And he I mean, was on. He, he was on his way to being Burrell. Um, yeah. And Daniels and Bunny sort of interceded into that. Yeah, and I I have to say that as as much of uh, they both deserve almost equal amount of credit for giving Carver to getting Carver to this point. The realest talk that Bunny had with Carver is when he told him that basically he was a shitty police officer mm-hmm. because the, he didn't have the ear to his street. At all. Mm-hmm. Didn't talk to people. Didn't, you know, he's supposed to provide, he's supposed to have some sense of what's happening in his community and he couldn't tell him anything. And so I think that was a come to Jesus moment for Carver. And of course, when Daniels, uh, when he when he invited him back after he screwed him over. Yeah. And yeah, and he did it to teach him a lesson about leadership. And uh, I have to give Carver a lot of credit is, he could have easily ignored the lessons they were trying to teach him. But if he does that, he winds up like Kirk. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it was interesting that they both saw in him, there's a possibility that this guy could be better than, than what we have, you know, than what we've actually seen. So, uh, impressive turnaround by Carver, um, impressive acting, acting job as well, uh, by self, Seth Gilliam. He like, he's really strong. And, to me, it's a it's a a real testament to you as an actor with a character like this. Is you, you we're at the stage in the wire. We've probably been here a long time um, with this character in particular. Like you're act, you're actively rooting for Carver. Like right. you want shit to work out. You want you know? it to happen. 
you want it to happen for him because he has made that much of a turnaround. Because even with the stuff with Randy, I I know what's going to happen. But I'm like, don't let him have, don't give him the herb. Don't yeah. do it, man. Right. This yeah. is about to ruin pretty much every fucking thing. So anyway, that's the character we're going to, uh, that we have chosen to take a look at in this. Uh, now we're going to move on, but we're going to take a quick break first. We're going to uh, dive into some of the best scenes in episode 12. We'll be back in a moment. Van, now let's talk about some of the best scenes and moment from episode 12. What do you got? Uh, yeah, it's a lot of them. Next, next couple of episodes are really heavy on best scenes. Mm-hmm. All right, so Randy and Carver. Obviously, that's a great scene. Yep. Um, I like the scene earlier in the show when Michael is training. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, yeah have you ever done paintball, uh, paintballing? Yes, I have, and I'll never do it, it again. Uh, uh-oh, I, I'm sensing a Van Lathan sidebar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, why not? Yeah. Why won't you ever do it again? Okay, so uh, went paintballing out here. It's some kind of Hollywood sports action now park or some shit like that years ago. And I don't know why this happened, but after the paintball round was over, one of the people from the other team who I did not know shot me in my neck with a paintball. Okay. Shot me in my neck with a paintball. Wow. I flashed the fuck out. <laughs> Do you have any idea how painful I can that imagine. Was? I flashed the fuck out. It was a full-on Ron Artest moment. Like a full Ron Artest moment. Turned around in a blind rage. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. In all of my life, I don't ever think I've been in a blind rage like that. It was like a searing heat on the side of me, and I turned around, and I saw, and I ran, and then the white boy, he ran. It was a white dude. I don't know why he did it. I don't know. I, I don't even know if his gun went off on accident. And then I and then when I got to him, and I grabbed him, and he was like, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then all of a sudden, security from the place tackled me. And bowled, and bowled me over, like, what are you doing? I'm like, he shot me with a paintball. He's like, it's a fucking paintball thing. I was like, it was after. And I was like, and I remember I said this, and my homies was like, I was like, you know what? Fuck all y'all. <laughs> I said that to, like, the entire paintball thing. I was like, fuck all y'all. And then I left. And the crazy thing was I didn't drive, so I had to go out and, like, wait until, because they didn't, my, my homies didn't follow me out. They was like, we paid for this shit. So yeah, I had you to and go, your Yeah, so I had to go out and stew on it and wait till they were finished playing paintball to come out there. I think I, like, I had to wait out there like an hour, and I was so pissed off about it. So pissed off about it. I'm getting pissed off now. Why are you shooting me in my neck, dog? That's fucked up. But it was over. And by the way, the paintball shit, was, it sucked because the way that this went, I'm not saying that this paintball course sucked or that this business sucked. I'm saying you should go play paintball. How you should go play paintball is with, like, you should gather, like, 10 or 15 people that you know. And you right. guys should go play paintball. You can break off teams. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and then you guys can go out there. But playing paintball with people that are just randomly getting thrown into a thing is not that fun. Not to me. You know, I do play laser tag. I love... Do you really? Laser, oh, my God. Laser tag is so fun. 
<laughs> laser tag is so fun. But uh, but no, that was my paintball story. I literally, I thought I was going to get arrested. I was on top of the dude choking him. Choking him. He smashed out. I was surprised I caught him. I got some... You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you still got some wheels. Uh, yeah, me and me and uh my husband went to play. We did paintball when we were we were dating, and he sh- look he shot me in the ass, and that shit hurt. Mm-hmm. That was flirting, right? though. I don't think he was flirting. I think he, <laughs> he yeah, because he wasn't afterwards like let me rub it or anything. No, he oh, shot me in right. the ass. He shot, you in the ass. He shot me clear in the ass. So yeah, yeah, that mm-hmm. shit hurt. I was like, and we we were in, uh, this is when I lived in in, in Connecticut and. Uh, it was like nice fall weather. So I had on a, a few layers of clothing and I still caught one. But it's it's fun though. I, despite what Van's review is, we realized he had a negative experience. But traumatic. I could I consider traumatic. Um only traumatic it I, it sounds like it was pretty traumatic for the guy you almost choked out as well. Shout out he to him. Never, <laughs> I don't know if he's been back to paintballing ever since you choked him. So maybe we'll not. See. Yeah. Maybe not. Probably not. All right, what else you got? Uh so I have Obviously, the scene between uh, I have uh, it's kind of like these. Some are scenes, and some are like little sagas, right? Yeah, yeah, or, or moments. That's right. why. I, yeah. One little scene that I think is very, very funny is uh, when Pres Belusky laughs at the joke in the class when the little boy goes. Uh, oh yeah, when he said "tickle these nuts." <laughs> Tickle these nuts, and Pres was like, "That that reminds me of something back in the day when um, I used to have this. I have this little thing that I do, like something happens, and I'll be like, oh, daddy.'" Right. It's just, and it, I just, that's what I would, that would, like, if we're in class, right? Let's say we had French together or something like that. And, uh, and somebody yelled at the teacher or did something crazy. And it was a big moment while everybody else would go, Ooh, I would go, Oh, dad, Oh, father. And there was one teacher, Mrs. Smith, that despite herself, thought it was the funniest fucking thing in the world. <laughs> Like, it was the funniest thing in the world. I remember uh, one of my classmates, when it was time to do Huck Finn in 11th grade, one of my classmates was like, yo, I'm not about to read the N-word. I'm not about to make you a bunch of crackers laugh. And when she said crackers, I went, oh, yeah, daddy. And when I, and when I said that, Miss, she lost it. She lost it. She's like, man, she, just, she was laughing so hard because it cut the tension so crazily, everybody was like, but she was like, Van, you have to get out. You're disrupting the class. <laughs> you and, yeah, like, get kicked out. But so, but teachers, they know some of that shit is funny. I know. If I was a teacher, that'd be hard. That'd be the hardest part. Cause you know, kids, especially around that age, eighth grade, man, they say some funny ass it, shit. Be, it's funny as hell. You know some of that shit is funny. But uh, yeah, so naming and with Delanda, Ooh. yikes. I was like, man, I, I wanted to go get a switch for myself after mm-hmm. I saw that. I was like, holy shit. Right. The, the, what do you think was the most cold-blooded thing she said? Was it when she said, I kept you in Nike since you were in diapers or wearing his name, acting like a bitch? I was acting like, like a bitch right she there. She put her whole chest into that. I was just like, oh shit, like that's... Yeah. Don't go back home ever. It's just, it's ridiculous, right? Yeah, Uh, right. On on top of slapping the shit out of him, too. Right. And then when Cuddy releases Mike to his people, I want to have an argument, I want to have a discussion next episode about what the moment is officially that Mike is lost to the streets. But I'm putting it way up there. What's like, what's the official moment? And why are fans that are listening to this, that are listening to Way Down in the Hole, we love you guys. 
we call you guys holers, slightly problematic. But, <laughs> what? This is news to me. <laughs> yeah, they're called, our fans are called holers. Holers. Holers, okay. holers. slightly, you know. They'll tell you, I'm a holer. It's, it's interesting. It got an interesting connotation. We'll see. All right. But what is the moment you feel like Michael actually was lost in the streets? What is the moment? I, 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 can, I can make, a, I can make a, a easy argument that the moment that Cuddy says, go with your people, that that's, that's the moment. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, you know, well, I, I'll say this. This was the episode he was for sure lost in the streets. Yeah. This whole episode. Because, but, but the weird thing about it is that it's everything in this episode that Mike does is a complete escalation of the, of the last thing. Right. right? It's like, you know, well, it, it really started in the previous episode when you notice the fight that he has with the other boys who are calling Randy a snitch. Like, Mike takes on, like, two or three of them, and he is just handing hands to everybody, right? right. And not even not even thinking twice. And then you fast forward to this episode is, you know, not... He, of course, because he is pretty... He's very street smart and very savvy. He, you know, again, alerts Naaman, like, yo, you have a problem on your hands. You got to step to Kennard and let him know what's up. The way he beats Kennard is just... It was reminiscent of how Chris beat Bug's father. Right. Like, he he touches him all the way up. Right. And not right. the way you would beat anyone who it seems like you even kind of know. Right. Exactly. Like, you couldn't have, you could not have guessed that, you know, they sort of, they weren't crew, but, he, you know, Kennard was sort of loosely around the crew or whatever. Yeah. They and so they like, the same you know, running thing. Yeah, yeah. They were all in the same running game. And so he, for him to beat him like that, and then after he's done beating him to say, get your package off this bitch. Like, suddenly, he went from Kennard that used to hang out with them to this bitch. Like, real fast. You well, know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, Mike has been, he's being hardened at a very, very fast rate. You know? Uh, and, and we're, and you know, we're seeing this. We're but seeing the fact that he, I guess with the, I, the one thing I do struggle with in the scene with Cuddy, with, with your uh, observation that, like, is this the moment where there was no turning back? I do agree it's a turning point. But, you know, we have to keep in mind, he did offer, he said, I'm going to stay with you till the ambulance gets here. And Cuddy let him go. Right. So I kind of think in, the, in, in that scene, Cuddy is us. Or Cuddy is society. Or C- Cuddy knows how the streets work. No, definitely. Michael was still holding on to it. Cuddy goes, no. Go with your people. Cuddy basically says, you're too far gone now. Like go with no, don't stay here with me. You can't, you can't be both places. You can't be both places. Go ahead and go with them. Go like go with go with your people. Because you definitely don't want them to think that you're weak. If right. you're gonna be out here, be out here. So right. I think that's the reason why I kind of wonder, you know, in, in my brain, if, if that's the moment that you know, the show lost the the child like Michael Lee. Remember, he was always a lot harder than the rest of the guys anyway. So it didn't take much for Michael. The only thing that it took for Michael to become what he it became was focus. He had to be focused on it and dedicated to it. Like, because he, he, he was everywhere. He was, I'm at the gym. I'm trying to do stuff in Mr. Presbalusi's class. I'm all over the place. But it seems as if he, uh, he got, this is the episode where, you know, you get Michael making that turn. Yeah. Um, what's, uh, what's also sort of fascinating about that scene is that I think, you know, as uh, leading up to this, Michael was very skeptical of, of Cuddy because of his own 
personal experiences that he had been through being, you know, is part of his his uh, entire trope of being very suspicious of male attention. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the reason why Mike offered to stay with him is because he finally realized that he actually could have been trusting him all along. That he, yeah. he finally got it. Like, you know what? I've been thinking one thing about this dude, but now I realize he was probably for real. And this mm-hmm. might have been a situation that I misread. I got to give Cuddy a lot of credit because despite, you could tell he was an OG and for real in this game. Not scared. Because despite, he wasn't scared at all. When he was said, he told him, young man, if I was talking to you, you know it. I was like, yeah. okay. Oh no, yeah. Cuddy, Cuddy. Yeah, all right, Cuddy. Nah, Cuddy, Cuddy ain't, he, 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 with that, he, he with the shits. That's right. for sure. And Monk, he is with the shits. And Monk didn't hesitate. Mm-hmm. Bam, 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 bam. Um, but so those are all my, and you know, there's a couple of other ones that are great there. I have a lot of, but the best scene to me, uh, in a, in a lot of great scenes, also like McNulty, Bunk and Lester when they're going, you know, looking for the bodies and stuff like that. But the best scene, even when Michael fights, Nay slaps the shit out of Nay. Great. Oh man. Yeah. Um, the best scene is Bubs is, the best moment is Bubs' saga. The heartbreak, you know, everything that goes on with Bubs finding Sherrod. That to me is uh, kind of what grounds this entire episode. Like that's what yeah, grounds this that episode. Was a, yeah. That was a tough scene. Is he's sort of uh, giving? He's trying to give him CPR, and it, it it feels like for a character, and we talked a lot about Bubs the last episode. For a character that has been as much, been through as much as Bubs has, has seen as much as he has, this felt like such a breaking point for him. Mm-hmm. Such it a is. breaking point, you know, because it, it also is hard not to see that in conjunction with him being spending much of this entire season being terrorized by somebody, being terrorized, being overlooked, being underappreciated. Like this was from a, a a personal standpoint, this was like a bad season for Bubs. Bad season, and we've seen him. Yeah, we've seen him go through rough things, but nothing that kind of looked like this season. And unfortunately, Sherrod was the the culmination of of all the bad things that had happened to Bubs in this season. Uh, one uh, another scene I liked a lot, involving again your favorite person, Vice Principal Donnelly, is when she's with Prez and she's telling him he really shouldn't care as much as he does. Even though I I don't like her, it's one of these. That was one of those scenes where they both had a point because she was right in the sense that. It, you know, as you just said a moment ago, to care when you're when you're caring, that's going to hurt. Yeah. And, you know, you're a teacher and these kids are going to cycle in and out every year. It's going to be a different group. And if you find yourself this personally in, invested all the time, then you're going to get burnt out fast. Right. The system's going to let you down. They're not in a good system. So, like, this is only going to lead to you feeling more despondent about what you're doing. So. Now, I didn't like the way that she said it, because especially when she was like, uh, yeah, sometimes he even smells like soap. I'm like, bitch. Like, I mean, just yeah. was like she was very condescending in the right. way that she did it. But she did have a good overall point. But Prez had a point, too, where he's just he he is emotionally invested in his kids. But his investment with Daquan has been different than all the other kids. Right. Because he sees that this is somebody who is who just needs a little bit of nurturing. He's very smart. And he knows that mentally and emotionally, he's not ready for high school. Right. He needs more nurturing to feel a sense of confidence, a sense of belonging, 
you know, he's been bullied for most of his school, you know, life. So I, I get it. I mean, he, in Preston's mind, he feels worthy of the investment, especially with him knowing um, that he has no one else to to look after and care for him. But I thought that was um, a really good scene on a, a you mentioned the, the tickle your nuts. I actually found the 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 part that made me laugh in that that whole scene was my girl who couldn't say the word intimacy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was trying mm-hmm. and thus uh, trying to explain that to some kids, and uh, my man is like, "You mean getting some?" It's just like, "Oh God, children!" When you know, and I it just reminded me of how we used to do that too. Whenever you found out any little bit about your teacher's life at a young age, crazy. You just like you ran with it. I remember my teacher, Miss Dollarhide. She came, she comes to me and she and she comes to the class and she's all upset because she was in a bank robbery. She tells this class of, I think we were in the fifth grade because Mr. Newbar was sixth grade, but Miss Dollar High, York Elementary School, Hawthorne, California. Um, she uh, She's talking about that she was in a bank robbery. You know what my thought was? You go to the bank? <laughs> like the robbery part didn't like intrigue you? Uh, no, I was like, you go, to, I'm like, you're a teacher. You come here and then you go home. <laughs> All right, why would you need, like, my mama go to the bank. Why do you go to the bank? Like, you go to the bank? My mama goes You know what I'm saying? Like, my mama, like, you go to the, you, is that what you go to the, why would you go to the bank? You're a teacher. <laughs> but she was in a bank robbery. She was so scared. I loved Miss Dollar High. Miss Dollar High was, like, I, she was so scared from coming from the bank robbery. So I'm glad she's, she got over it. But I was thinking, why don't you go to the bank? What you in the bank for? You're a teacher. Like, they got what? Have you ever gone through that moment where you see one of your teachers like out somewhere that, you know, that normal people go like your teacher at a grocery store and you're like, oh, my God, you you eat food? Like, like what is that? Yeah. Like, oh, just like in The Wire. Yeah. Y'all go to the movies? You're right. It's just or, like that. Yeah, you know, it's the same. It's the same thing. So, yeah. yeah. Or you found out their first point. name like, your name is Brad? Yeah. Like, what? Your name is, I thought your name was Mr. You I know. know. What I mean? <laughs> or, or doctor. <laughs> Or that, right. right. No, um, I thought that was um, that was a, a a really you know funny scene for a lot of reasons. Another good scene is when Method Man is describing to Pope Prop Joe about the robbery, and he talks about Kimmy bringing the gun out of her, you know what, out of her uh-huh. hoodie hood. Yeah, and he's and he's like, shit was unseemly. Was he was like, like he, he's like, like he's so he, offended. He made it seem like Omar came in there with the Navy SEALs, man. It right. was absolutely fucking insane. I loved it, though. Yeah, and I love that Prop Joe hit him with that. I ain't hearing nothing about no pushback, though. Like, he's just like, you took it, essentially. So, uh, you know, what are we talking about here? Yeah, so I, I, those were some kind of like, uh, you know, my favorite uh, little moments. Oh, also, um, and, and this is, I think, the last one for me, is when Carcetti is kind of going over his options and he's with Norris and the rest of his 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 think tank, if you will. And she hits him with that whole, mm, I'm just glad I'm not the mayor. Like, she she was cold-blooded. She, like, she just loved that. Loved the fact that he was getting fucked over. Yes, she did. And I love that she let him know up front that once you do get fucked over, I'm a, she's like, I'm going to be at your ass either, either way. way. So it re- it really doesn't matter to me. Like, pick door number one, door number two. Guess what? I'm killing you regardless of of what your do options they have sexual, are. Do they have sexual tension? You know, I, I, this actually ran through my mind. Right. It's ran through my mind a few times. I'm like, I'm sensing some fireworks. A little bit. A little uh, bit. I'm sensing there might be some fireworks. This could have know? been scandal before it happened, you know? See? You know, a different time, perhaps. A maybe, different time. Maybe if this, if this were 2020, right. David Simon would have taken the chance to be like, you know what we should have? 
But then he already did that because he has Daniels and Rodney. It's not like he's afraid of interracial loving. Nah, nah. He's not afraid of interracial loving. And, uh. and that's really interracial. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Daniels and Rhonda, that's super interracial. Right. It's like he's clearly, you know, um, you know, not afraid of this. Oh, I, I guess I should say this also was a good scene is when Naaman is with Carver and, and Cuddy and he's drinking water faster than anyone I've seen drink water ever. And and, says, Slow down. Yes, exactly. And with two hands, so you know that's when it's real good to you, right? Uh -huh. You got to have two hands holding a glass. And he's like, Mike ain't Mike no more. And he's like in tears. I I, I thought, um, you know, he just did such an exceptional job. A great uh, actor. Really good. Like in all the scenes that he was in, the scene with his mom, this one, like he really, this was a strong, strong episode uh, for Julito. Um, so yeah, so those are some of our best scenes and moments from this one. Uh, now let's talk about Van, what aged the best? What did you have? Julito McCullum's performance. Shout out Julito, my man. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, uh, what aged the best is uh, culturally biased testing. Uh, like fine wine. All right, fine wine. Culturally biased testing. Well, Jack is about to shoot a par three <laughs> at Pebble Beach Country Club, okay? But he actually shoots four over par. What was Jack's total strokes? And niggas is like, what's par? Right. Like, what's a, I know. a other niggas is like, what's a beach? Right. <laughs> or I think I think when Zenobia got a question, she was like, allowance. I ain't never got no allowance. I ain't never got no allowance. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, what's allowance, basically? Right. And and like uh, you know, it's it's never shit that we get. You know, it's, it's never like, all right, man, homie went up to Snowflake's Barbecue, okay? Half $5. He wanted one special, and which is $3.75, okay? You know how much a Dixie cup is. Like, did he have enough left over to get a Dixie cup? People going to get that question. Dixie cup, 25 cents. And You know what I'm saying? Like, he, people going to get that question. You know, they going to know what it is, but... That's now you never get those. You know? <laughs> no, um, instead it's about uh, trains and how long you in a a, a plane. Like just dumb by shit. The, by I, the way, once again, I just want to say once again, I, I've never. I've said it before. I've never had to calculate the speed of a train in my life. I never have. Ever. ever. I, I go online. I look to see what time the train is coming to the fucking station, and then I go and show up. I never had to say yo blah blah blah. Half the time. The shit don't show up on time anyway, especially with the Amtrak. <laughs> it it so, don't matter. So it do, but it don't matter anyway. So uh, that's the, actually the only thing I had that has aged the best culturally biased testing. Yeah, no, that that definitely is a strong one. Um, what I had as aging the best was um, the uh, the state undermining black cities. That's a thing. Always mm -hmm. happens. You know, there's a lot of conversation about these these Democrat-led cities. I'm like, mm, I wonder who the governors are in some of these states, right? You will find uh, that in a lot of places where you have cities that are overwhelmingly Black, there is a lot of tension between those cities and the state government. And so yeah. this is obviously... Uh, that has aged quite well. Something that Carcetti is going through. And uh, on a smaller note, uh, when Omar and crew pulled a jack move, my girl Kimmy, when she was trying to entice the folks uh, on the shipment, she was singing Salt and Peppers, Everybody Get Up. 
I love that song. Still oh. goes on. Everybody get up. Dude. I was like, go ahead, girl. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It still yeah. ages really, really well. So uh, that's what I have for what age the best. If you have anything, Van, for what age the worst? Two things. One, hot dogs. I haven't had a hot dog in a very long time. Like, it aged terribly. For me, they were they were at the, the store, and I can't See, say but, the name but of it wasn't a hot dog, though. What was it? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm challenging you on this one. It was, okay. a Pol- it was a Polish boy. That's different. What's a Polish boy? Let me educate you. Let me let, let me learn you, Van, okay. about a Polish boy. It's a uh-huh. Polish sausage. That's a uh-huh. different. That's a different animal. Okay. It ain't the same. All right. That's a hot Thicker. dog. Okay. It's it's not a hot dog. Okay. So it's not a hot it's, dog. It's a pol- tell no. me what, Tell me. Tell me. It's a Polish sausage. It's much bigger. It's huge. Different taste. You could, you know, you certainly can, as they alluded to, put sauerkraut, onions, all those things. These are very popular in the city of Cleveland. That's where I had one of my first Polish boys because that's the staple for Cleveland, Polish right. boys. Polish right? boy. Is it on a bun? Mm-hmm. On a bun. It is It is trait similar to a hot dog and that you eat it the same way, but the actual quality of the meat and the beef is much different and better. Like a hot sausage link, because we'll take a hot yes. sausage link yes. and then it's we'll the put it thing. on. Yeah. yeah, it's like a it's a hot okay. sausage link. Okay, right. so then I I, res, I rescind that since it's not a hot you, dog. You recant, you recant. I recant. You call it a hot dog. I was I like, why so, it's not basic. Me. My it's bad. Polish boy. I'm sorry, it's Polish boy. Polish boy. So um, uh, and also uh, motels. I don't oh, know too many yeah. people that go to the motels anymore. I'm sure there's some people that still do the motels here. But to me, unless you're moving that goddamn weight, there's really no reason to... Um, I mean, not no reason. I don't want to say that. There's people all over the country that use motels. But I just haven't heard about anybody staying at a motel, you know. Like, I don't know who it's stays in minute. motels these days. It's been a long time since well, I've been in a motel. Well, but also, man, you're rich now, so you probably wouldn't. <laughs> I'm rich. I love how you deflect. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. I'm like, it's, I love how you deflect. I love how. <laughs> yeah, sure. But um, no, I haven't been in the motel. You, you don't know the motel crowd anymore. I haven't. Been, I haven't been to one, or I haven't heard any of my homies talking about they stayed at a motel in a long time. If they have, that's a cry for help. Um, <laughs> right. More than likely. Mm-hmm. Have you ever stayed in a motel? Of course. Okay. Yeah. In high school, um, growing up in Detroit, see, because you know they had they had a lot of motels. Mm-hmm. Some of them hourly. And all I'll just say is that when you're a teenage girl mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and you have a boyfriend and things start to get a little active and you know $18 an hour. Right. Yeah, $18 an hour. It could be a, they have that could here. Be a de- yeah. Could be a deadly combination. <laughs> deadly combination. I never yeah. told the I never told the prom night story with the about the Motel no. 6. You went to Motel 6 on your prom? I'm not telling that one. That's a, I can't. I can't. I can't tell. I can't. I can't tell. Describe me, man. No, 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 no. I can't tell. I can't tell that one because that one's gonna make. That one's gonna make waves throughout Baton Rouge. No, I can't tell that one. Big waves throughout Baton Rouge. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh snap! It's it's people that definitely don't fuck. You you can't protect the innocent. No, I can't tell that one. I can't tell. Can't protect them. All right, I hear you. All good. Maybe if there's enough fan, this is a crazy story. If there's enough fan interest. Maybe I'll do it for the series finale. Oh, okay. The prom night motel store. Yeah. The prom Mm -hmm. night motels. I I love everything about it and I know nothing about it. Right. So that is awesome. Uh, All right. uh, Let's talk about some of the file this away for later moments, Van. Mm -hmm. What do you have? File this away for later moment? A lot. there's There's something that happens when Mike is training. That's a file this away for later, if you ask me. He gets the drop on Snoop and he shoots her. Oh, oh uh-huh. yeah. 
farthest away for later. Yeah, that's a, that's um, a good one. Yeah. Uh, obviously, good one. obviously, Sherrod's death is both a farthest away for later moment in the immediate and in the long term for the Correct. character of Bubbles. Duquan's eviction, gigantic farthest away for later moment. That's going to turn Duquan's life um, sort of upside down. And this is the first time we meet the horse dudes. That's the, true. Yeah, there's the guys out there with the horses, which, by the way, before season five, I'm going to do more research on the horse guys themselves. Because I don't understand that. I grew up having horses my entire life, right? But, well, I'd say I, I had a horse, Silver, when I was, uh, when I was... You had uh, a, wait, you had a horse? I had several horses. Didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Several. So when I was a kid, so I made my bones in the Latham Man family. When I was a kid, I had a, my dad got me a horse named Silver, right? I, I named the horse Silver because... The like High Ho Silver? The High Ho Silver. Wait, Lone okay. Ranger's horse on this. By the way, did you know that the Lone Ranger and the Green Hornet are cousins? Did you know that? I did not know that. If you look, when, um, when the Green Hornet, uh, when, when he's in his office, if you look up there on the wall, there's a picture of the Lone Ranger. That's because... I, actually, they're either their cousins or the green or the Lone Ranger is the Green Hornet's great grandfather or his grandfather or something like that. Oh snap! Okay, you, know, you realize it's the, you realize it's the same show. Like it's uh like it's a dude. Think about even the Green Hornet's theme that he wears over his eyes. It's the same right. as the Lone Ranger. Yes, Rangers. it's very similar. Yeah, and then he has Kato, and right. then Lone Ranger had Tonto. It was just an updated version of it. <laughs> You know what? You're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. The, yeah. Um, okay. And they said silver, they had the cool car. But anyway, so I named my horse Silver. So my dad puts me on Silver, right? This is uh, in Maringwin, Louisiana, my father's hometown. All the Latham men are around. We horseback riding. My dad puts me on Silver and I smack Silver. The horse takes off. I'm six years old and I still have memories of this because I'm holding on to the pommel to the, uh, the, you know, the, the, you know, the pommel thing that's yeah. right there on the horse. On the, so, yep. On the saddle. So I'm, on holding, the saddle, yep. I'm holding on to that, right? I'm holding on to that. Silver runs, stops, and then comes up. He rears up on his, on his two, and then I come down. Bam! Hit my cheek on the pommel. Oh! And, yeah, and, and like, big-ass knot on the pommel. You would've um, you would have thought that all of the men in my family would have freaked out. Hell no. They were going crazy. Look at that little nigga ride that horse. You can't... Boy, Terry, look at that boy. Terry, that's a man right there. That's a goddamn man. Bring him over here. They were picking me up, put me on their soldiers. Meanwhile, you're boy. bleeding to death, but meanwhile, that's okay. Meanwhile, and boy, you should have seen it. The women were inside the house, like my aunties and them. Uh, they were they were inside the house. They lit out of that house. What the fuck is wrong with y'all? <laughs> Putting that that's a baby. That's a baby on the back of that horse. What's your problem? What Terry you to, and, and then uh, and my dad goes in there, puts some ice on his face. That's a man. That's my boy. So that was the moment that I made my reputation with the Lathans. Then later on in life, uh, when we started doing a little bit better, we got some horses and we boarded them, right? You put, like, we didn't have, until we built our house in Zachary, we didn't have the land for it. We boarded the horses. 
And one thing I do, I say all this to say that horses are expensive. Oh, it's like, yeah. You gotta yeah, go, the upkeep for them is, is yeah, crazy. You got to go to the tax store all the time. Then you have to be like, you have to, to buy new stuff for your horse, right? Buying the feed. We used to have the, the state police feed. We would get them and stuff like that. We like, we had to, like you, you have to buy stuff for the horse all the time. So it seems to me, I'm interested in the story of the horse guys because yeah. it seems that guys who are addicted or whatever that like works, that are stable guys and stuff like that, I don't see how they're keeping up with horses, but I know that it must come from something that's real in Baltimore. Right. No, it, uh, that that is something for us to 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 look into. So we'll, we'll both have to do um, some research and figure out like, all right, what's the story um, kind of be- behind this? Uh, yeah, you hit all of the same file us away later moments that I had. So, um, yeah, we can just keep on rolling. Uh, so some trivia here for people in the scene where the security guard tells both Carcetti and Norman that the governor is finally ready to see him. Security guard is played by the actual real life Maryland governor, uh, Bob Elric or Ehrlich, something like that. So he's no longer actually the governor of, Mar- uh, of Maryland. But at the time, he was the governor of Maryland. So that was a little inside joke. And funny, funny. Um, so if you notice, Bunny and the deacon are eating in a place. Now, I, I feel like, th- I mean, this is a slur, but this is the name of the restaurant. So I'm like. That's what I was saying. Yeah. I can't say the name of the restaurant. But Johnny's. Johnny's. P. <laughs> yeah, Johnny's. So yeah, I can't say the name of P. Johnny's. P. Johnny's, real place. Looked it up online. These polo sausages look amazing. I just want people to know that. Um, but it's a family-owned place that has been in existence in B-more since 1921. God damn, that's gotta be some good-ass Polish Yeah, boys. I'm saying. Um, it's a name that was conceived by this family's grandfather or whatever, um, and he worked on, on the Carnival Midway, and he, he bought a pinball gallery in Baltimore's Red Light District known as The Block. And one day he fried up what smelled like the best hot dog in Baltimore and caught the attention of the gamers. And that was the beginning of what is now known as P. Johnny's. So, yeah, so a lot of family history there. Look it up. Um, It seems like they do mostly a lot of distribution to a lot of other pubs and restaurants that that is where they make kind of the the bulk of their cash. But, yes, family owned place. Very proud. um, And Look, whenever we do this Baltimore food tour, we have to put this spot on the list. I'm um, down. I'm especially, yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things is is I love the hot turkey sausage links. Those are amazing. Yeah. I'm yeah. with that all the time. All right, uh, Van, now it's time for our moment of truth. Who won this episode? Hmm. First of all, I just want to say shout out to my dad right now. My dad is going to love that I told the story of me. About you and the horse. Not letting go of Silver's horn. <laughs> it was just like clutching onto the horn of the saddle. And with my other hand on the pommel, it was just like, my dad's going to love that story. So Terry Lathan, the Van Lathan Sr., when you hear this, uh, that was for you. Uh, I didn't know you were a junior. You're a junior? Yeah, Van Terry Lathan oh, okay. Jr. That's me. Oh, look um, at that. Yeah, uh, name it. That's who I had. I was like, I think name it won this episode. I think uh, yeah. from a... Both, you know, from a character standpoint about what he's been through. I mean, he's seeing um, it, it's a real transformation that's obviously occurred in him. And from an acting standpoint, I thought I thought he really stole the show in this one. Yeah. Name it. Name it for sure. All right. Uh, I think that may be the first time all season that we've actually uh, agreed on the who won the episode. So there you have it. 
Uh, anyway, people, that is going to do it for us. Thanks for hanging out as we wrap Woo-hoo! up episode 12. That's got his own. We will be back. Season finale. Mm. That's the next one. So we're typically, I mean, there's already a lot of things coming to a head, but things really, really, really come to the head in this next episode. So hopefully you will join us. Thank you for all the support. Keep listening to us and keep watching The Wire. We'll see y'all next time. Bye. 